And welcome to the Rolling Rule for Leicester Tigers fan podcast. As you may have guessed, this week's episode is slightly different to normal. Mike has unfortunately come down with tonsillitis, not crying over Steve, so cannot make it tonight. As a result, we have drafted in a super sub, and I am delighted to say that Ian Morton of Leicester Tigers fan group on Facebook joins me. Ian, thank you for joining. How has your week been? Uh, well, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy weekend. Uh, youngest daughter turned five yesterday, so fun pack weekend, uh, including Disney on ice. Absolutely fantastic. All that uh, Disney goodness now locked in my brain as a lovely little earworm all week. Did you um, partake? Not, Did you go on the ice? No, no, no this is a, a kind of show that was at the NEC. You watch people skate around, miming along ah. to Disney songs, and uh, everyone goes mad, and all the kids are asking for those funny lights that cost about a million pounds, um, as well as slushies and popcorn. But yeah, great fun. Can recommend it. So you've had a good weekend, but you're now significantly poorer than when you started the weekend. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, kids are a money pit. <laughs> good man, good man. So as you can imagine, this is going to be an interesting recording. We've got a few things to discuss. So we're going to discuss Eddie, Steve. We have got some good contract news. We're going to look back to the Bristol game, chat through some homegrown heroes, and then look ahead to the Ospreys game uh, this Sunday. So yeah, not a lot of things to talk about at all. Just a bit of house admin. Mike would like to shout out to Eddie Crow and his mates who we met Saturday night at Ashton Gate. Um, if you would like to get in touch, our Twitter handle is at Rolling Mall Pod and our email address is rollingmall at outlook.com. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. So let's get cracking on with the news. And before we get into the uh, sort of the obvious, we do have um, some good news to talk about. There's been a couple of movements over this week. Firstly, Ollie Hassel-Collins. Um, as you, if you'd remember a few weeks ago, we said uh, he looks on course to join Tigers. Well, in the last sort of, 24, 48 hours, there seems to be a bit more chatter and a bit more noise about that one. Um, some more journalists are starting to say that looking to be more likely, which is excellent news. Ian. What do you reckon, Hassel Collins? Fantastic signing. I think it's exactly what we need. We're we're, we're shy of a winger with uh, uh, Nandolo going. One assumes that Ashton may not be around much longer. Um, and crikey, he looked good when he played against us the other week, didn't he? He's that lad's absolutely lightning. Knows where the try line is. I think it'd be a fantastic signing. I mean, anyone that can outpace Watson like that, he's got some serious gas on him. Uh, and to me, he just seems. 
not quite the all-round winger, but not far off. He's got that sort of, he's quick, he's strong, seems to be um, learning a bit more game intelligence now. Um, someone that's been criminally underlooked, um, or overlooked, sorry, for uh, for England, which is ironic considering uh, this week's news. So yeah, he just seems to me just a, a fantastic um, prospect. I'm, to be honest, a really exciting sign. It's one of those that sort of gets you excited for next season, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think he fits the profile that we're going for at the minute. The, 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 the young, up-and-coming lad fringes the England squad, um, fits him you know, fits him with the profile. We've got lots to learn, right attitude, you'd assume. Yeah, I like the look of him. I think he's going to fit in very nicely. Yeah, it seems to me that our recruitment seems to have took on a different sort of outlook. I think that's maybe in the, as our sort of development uh, has gone along for, you know, two years ago, we were sort of signing ready-made players like of Namani, um, Jasper, mm. you know, more experienced guys, Kyle Brink, for example, he was another one that came in. We've sort of gone from buying people who have made it um, and have established themselves into these sort of like Charlie Atkinson's, you know, we now look at Ollie Hassel-Collins. It does seem to be that the you know, our core group of youngsters that have come through the academy, we now seem to be adding into that by buying the best sort of talented youngsters from across the league. And to be honest, I'm all for it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's only, what, uh, four or five years ago, people spoke about Tigers as having a really high churn of players. We've got a lot of journeyman players coming in, um, lots of uh, you know, sort of 30-somethings there for two or three years, then on again. And they never really felt like an identity to the club. Uh, that changed... I think it was really Jordan Murphy started that off, really. We started putting in the academy players. Borthwick's obviously con- uh, continued that, took a look at the academy players that he did like and didn't like, um, brought a load more on over lockdown. I mean, you know, who knows uh, you know, the, the impact that lockdown actually had on bringing through some of those players. Um, and now we just seem to be, that's the identity we've got. We're now building a legacy for the, the next decade or so with the squad that we've got. It's really quite exciting to see where that could go. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. Feeding off the back of that, which is a lovely little segue, um, we do have a bit of contract news, um, and Ooh. we'll cheer you up as well, which is which is good. So this is the, this is the first part of the shit sandwich, is it? Yeah, no, well, it's, it's an open shit sandwich because we've not got any good news to sort of back it up. So it's uh, oh. it's 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 not it's not doesn't quite work, but it's some good news if nothing else. Um, so it's our understanding that both Dan Kelly and Dan Cole will be signing new contracts with Tigers. Um, as you know, right. a few weeks ago, Jasper, uh, we said Jasper Visa, we thought was a done deal on a new contract. We think that's still the case. Uh, but to add into that, we can say, uh, we think it's likely that Dan Kelly and Dan Cole will be announced at some point as also signing new contracts. So, so yeah, I think that's, again, two different players at the different ends of the spectrum in terms of their career. Uh, we'll start with Dan Kelly first. I mean, we'll get into the Bristol game later on, but boy, <laughs> that's some return back into uh, into the action, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the big worries I had um, was the fact that hamstring injuries, hamstring's just one of those things that if it goes wrong, it's very easy to stay wrong. I mean, you look at the likes of Michael Owen in football, he was never the same player again once he did his hamstring. And you've got to assume it's a really serious one because um which game was it he first did it was the was the Leinster game he first did his hamstring I think wasn't Steve, it Steve, um, no, I think it might be Claremont I think was it the Claremont, was it Claremont game, game? That, was what, that was about eight yeah that was about April wasn't it so really you're looking at uh nine on eight months out with the hamstring injury because you can't really count the Saints games he only lasted about 30 seconds I think it was wasn't it um 
so eight months out with a hamstring injury, it must have been a really serious one. So you, I, I was worried, you know, whether he was going to, you know, come back as a very different player. We didn't have that pace, but you know, to look at him, he looked fully fit, didn't he? Yeah, I have to say, the it's always a worry when you get the sniper with a hamstring injury. You know, when he's bolting mm. along and he goes down like that, it's never, um, never a good thing. And I do believe he had um, some sort of surgery over the summer, which obviously is again an indication that. It wasn't quite a, a, a standard, straightforward um, hammy. Um, I think with Dan Kelly, as we saw on Saturday night, he's one of those players where he just makes your team immeasurably better, both in attack and defence. You know, he just brings so much um, to the side. And I think our attack has been a bit clunky, as we've said, and our defence has been a bit uh, as well. I think he is one of those players that actually is the sort of glue. I know we've sort of mentioned about Moroni. Uh, being a sort of the issue uh, for me having Dan Kelly out has been the bigger issue both in attack and defence rather than Moroni as good as Mateus was but he's just again 21 years old you could just build you build a whole squad around players like that couldn't you well he looks a leader doesn't he he looks a leader not just uh, in attack but in defence as well um, really really intelligent player someone I could definitely see being a future captain to be honest um, yeah it just the, you know, the aggression and organisation in defence that he's got absolutely punches above his weight in the tackle um, and then cuts a lovely line in attack as well. Brilliant player. And, you know, it was watching him, uh, particularly in the first half against Bristol, you forget just how much we missed him. I mean, he'd, mm. he'd been out of sight so long, he almost, you know, forgot what he brought to us. But, yeah, it was great to see. Great to have him back in. No, he's, he's a terrific player. And then moving on to Coley, I mean, what do you oh. say about the man? Okay, well, I don't think you can. I mean, 36 years old, 36 year old, and looking as good as he ever has. He just doesn't get worse, does he? He's <laughs> a, he's a fantastic, he's an absolutely fantastic player. He's you know, and it's not just. I mean, you look at uh, Colin. The, the obvious thing to say is what a scrummaging machine he is, and absolutely, he's still turning over loose heads. He's still eating them for breakfast. Um, and, and that's yeah, that's a part of his game that'll always be his bread and butter. But in the loose, you know, what's what doesn't get uh, picked up on enough for me is just how good he is around the breakdown as well. I mean, quite on Saturday, it was like having another, like having another open side over there. Um, I think two or three turnovers he managed to win, wasn't it? And mm. um, ferocious in the tackle as well. Um, you know, that guy's got absolutely no right to be as old as he is. He looks good for another few seasons. The fact we're keeping on on another contract, great, more of him. No, I, I, I agree. I think the thing with Coley that gets me is. For a, for a man as experienced as what he is, the ability to add new things at his age to his game, I think is the, the biggest compliment you can have. Instead of just going, I'm a scrummaging prop and that is all that I'll do. You look at him now, he's leaner and in better shape than I think he's ever been. The last two or three years, he looks in insane shape. You know, you only have to look at when we, the kick chases, how consistently good he is at, at, at doing it. The fact He's often the first one there, isn't he? Quite. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not even as like he doesn't look out of pace. You know, he doesn't look like he's struggling either. No, he doesn't. And he'll frequently last the eighty minutes, won't he? I think he, uh, um, you know, he very much could have done at Bath the other week. I mean, oh, you know, going back to that game, I wonder whether that substitution was a bit of a mistake. But yeah, you know, that's by the by. He will. Um, There's a couple of seasons back, he was frequently doing eighty minutes uh, each week. 
Um, yeah, the man's an absolute machine. He really fits that Borthwick mantra of uh, no matter what stage in your career you are, just wanting to get better. And we've heard that from Steve a lot. Um, and yeah, that, that seems to be his mantra. He seems to just want to be getting better the whole time. And it's not just what he does on the pitch as well. You can imagine you know, the likes of uh, Joe Hayes and Will Hurd, what they learn off him as well. They'll be better players for playing with him for as long as possible. Conversely, do you, you only have to look at the likes of Jimmy Whitcomb to see how his yeah. scrummaging has come on, having to go up against Coley in the scrums. I think we saw it with Genji, Genji's development in the scrum. You know, every every day on the training park, you're having to go up against Coley. By its very yeah, nature, that has to make you a better player. Yeah, I think it's something that we as fans overlook sometimes and what happens on the training park. You know, if you've got a good tight head, um, he's going to develop the loose head as well because they have to scrum against each other on the training pack, as, as, as you said. Um, and, yeah, Whitcomb, that's what we're seeing from him at the minute. I think uh, um, there's clearly been a bit of a plan with Whitcomb, sort of keep him out of the firing line a bit uh, to develop him in the first part of the season. And I suspect, well, clearly with the events that happened on Saturday, I think we're going to see a bit more of him as well. Um, but he looks like he's taken another, another dimension and maybe that's Cole's influence that helps to bring that out. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. I think for me, having someone like Coley around, even if he doesn't play as much, I think is a massive boon for us. I think he still will play as much as he always has. I mean, he's in that good a shape, you'd be mad to overlook him. But I think having his influence around, like you say, on the training ground, both in talking to the tight heads that we've got on the roster as well as going up against Jimmy Whitcomb and saying, look, come up against me and, and doing it. And also just his general leadership, you know, as we're about to get onto it, we are about to go into uncertain times at the club here. And you're going to need your senior boys to start rallying together and, you know, pulling the squad in tight. And they almost create a backs against the wall mentality, a siege mentality. And I think someone like Coley is, is going to be needed over the next few months to, to step up. Now, that does create, again, another nice little segue. So we might as well address the elephant in the room, the reason why we've held the podcast back 24 hours. Has there been breaking news today then, Elliot? Uh, so I think there's been, a couple, there's been a couple of bits. There's been a couple of bits, mate. Uh, let's talk about what we do know, and then we can sort of talk about what we think we know, and then we can sort of go through the bits and pieces that we've, we're not quite sure upon, and we can, we can touch through it. So what do we know? As of half 11 well, this morning, Eddie Jones got the old tin tack. So that is definite. It's confirmed he's now gone. Um, what we think we know is that um, Tigers have now ha- received an approach from um, RFU in regarding to Steve. What we also think we know is that we're expecting or we're going to get the same for Richard Wigglesworth. Telegraph are reporting that... Um, Alid and Kev will be staying with Leicester. What we don't know... Which is a result. Absolutely. And what we don't know is really what comes next. So let's go at the top. Eddie. Obviously, Eddie's gone. Um, the winds over the last couple of weeks have sort of shifted and has, have been pointing towards his departure ever since the South Africa game. Where do you stand at all? I think it was his time, wasn't it? I mean, we will never know now whether there actually was some great big master plan that uh, he was uh, waiting to unleash. I mean, I always found that concept a bit strange. I mean, what what are you telling people on the training park? You're saying, right, we're going to train in this one way. Brilliant, great, we've cracked that. Now, I'll tell you what, we're going to go on the field now and then we're going to not do that. Shh, keep it a surprise. I, I can't see that. 
I think the more time was going on, the more he actually felt like, um, you know, something of a charlatan, to be honest. It was, uh, it was at the point where a lot of his decisions beg a belief and, you know, the more time went on, the more he thought maybe he hasn't got a rabbit in the hat after all. Um, so, yeah, he gave us some good times as England coach. Let's not forget that. There were some... Um, you know, there were some great times. That run to the final in the last World Cup was terrific. We were only a spectacular South African performance away from being world champions. Um, but I think he just tried to get a bit too clever. And um, yeah, his time was up. I don't think anyone's really surprised by that now. And uh, yeah, uh, timing's a bit odd, perhaps. I mean, this is perhaps something that happened, should have happened before. What can, uh, I mean, uh, goodness knows who his uh, successor is going to be, but they're not going to have a lot of time before the World Cup to uh, to put it right. I mean, the, the argument with Eddie has always been to not sack him, not only just because he has got this master plan and so on and so forth. However, his World Cup record is very, very good. His win percentages um, as England manager is at 70, over 73%, which puts him, I think, if not the best, certainly in the top two or three um, England coaches. And, you know, he has got a track record of, of we saw it in 2018, he had a duff 12 months into that World Cup. He made some changes. And in 2019, we went across to Ireland, absolutely took them apart over in Dublin. And as you say, we went off to Japan and got through to the final. So it's not as though this hasn't happened before. So, of course, the argument is, you know, we're 12 months from the World Cup. Like you just said, it um, doesn't leave much time for any uh, replacement to come in. But for the sounds of things, you're, you're OK with all of that and you would have, you, you'd have happily pulled the trigger um, if, you were, if you were head honcho at, at, at the RFU. Well, it would be a bit of some trepidation because of the timing. But sure. I think that there's just a feeling that it just seems like he was out of ideas. And I think that's the that's the point that the RFU have got to as well. So what is your plan? And Jones must have prevented, uh, must have presented some kind of plan and it's not really cut it. So yeah, it's uh, troubling times, but you know, there's clearly, there's clearly something in the air. I mean, Wales have come to the same decision, haven't they? That, uh, you know, it is, there comes a point where you're actually better off by pulling the trigger. Um, that didn't necessarily work for England when they got rid of Robinson all those years ago. Um, but you know, maybe, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's where we're at, and that's what the decision just had to be because he was out of ideas. I always think my position on Eddie was that I think probably twelve months ago, eighteen months ago was probably the right time. I think after twenty twenty one Six Nations, when uh, we had Dan Robson coming in at fly half, and you'd got George Ford sat on the bench. I think that to me, uh, that was the sort of time to go look. You've had a horrific Six Nations. This isn't working. You're now um, putting nines at tens. You know, it's that to me would have been the sort of a nice time to go two years to go. Thank you very much, Eddie. It's been great, but we want to go in a new direction. I think anyone, I think everyone would have understood that. I do get the feeling here, Eddie has run out of road. I, Eddie to me is someone like Jose Mourinho in football, in that you accept. When you get guys in like Jose or like Eddie, you accept that they come with a lot of baggage and effectively the circus comes into town. Whether that's in Jose's case, the abusing of referees, the, the media antrics, picking fights with other managers and all the sort of circus that comes with Jose. But you take it on and you accept it because he gets you results. And Eddie's almost in a similar sort of way that, you know, you go through coaches, you have numerous different staff members 
coming out the other side battered and bruised and not telling a particularly nice tale of what the work environment is. It's the same with players. You know, there's been numerous instances of players chewed up, spat out, coming into the environment and leaving fairly battered and bruised. And the RFU to me has always accepted that this is a circus, but because the results are right, they've always put the circus to one side and they've accepted it almost because he gets results when he plays. I think what has happened over the last 12, 18 months is now the results aren't there. You know, what are you left with effectively is just the circus and a load of clowns, you know, and you've effectively, that effectively is where I think what's happened, you know, is the win percentage this year is at 43%. All the noise that's coming out about different players and coaches that are just refusing to work with him or just coming out battered and bruised. I think when the results stop, I think you're almost left with no choice just to go, if that's all you're left with is that, it's just all the nonsense. I think you're almost left with, you know, just no choice really, just but just to say, look, this isn't working. Thank you very much, Eddie, but we're going to take this in a different direction. And I suspect that's probably what's happened. Like you say, they've lost confidence in what Eddie's telling them. You know, it, you either have a choice. You either gamble with Eddie, that, you know, Eddie's plan and his master plan for the next 12 months, or you gamble that getting rid of him uh, means you get an, a, a new coaching who has got a better set of ideas and a better plan to take you forward for the next 12 months ultimately this is a gamble but it's a gamble to keep him as well so i suspect the rfu has took a, has took a decision that this is the lesser gamble and it's a safer bet to, to change which is um which is why they've done it now obviously that now leads obviously eddie's gone cockers in the announcement was named as interim that to me was just a holding statement and just some corporate emptiness just to you know just as a holding statement just to say an insurance policy if we can't get our uh, first choice in cockers will take over and we'll keep looking that that to me is what that statement is all about is that what you read from that or did you see that was being a bit more to it um i mean i I don't know it's there's so much speculation and stuff. I mean, we we think we know who's coming next, but it's going to be a case of when. So the question becomes, how interim is Cockrell? Um, is he interim for the next few days before uh, an announcement is made? Is he interim in the sense he's going to take on the Six Nations um, while the loose ends are being tied up with the replacement? Is he interim insofar as he's going to take on the World Cup before somebody comes over? I mean, you know, they're the options, really, and... We don't, for all the speculation, we don't actually know. It could be, and to be fair, if Cochran was to do an interim job like that, I've no doubt he'd do a very good job. So, mm. and I assume the RFU making that statement are recognising the same themselves. But uh, just the mood music coming out just begins to suspect that um, it might just be very interim and there might be something quite imminent coming up. No, I, I, I agree. I think. It's one of those where it, if off slightly off to a little bit of a tangent, but to be fair to Cockers, he does get a bit of a bad rep um, across the board. And I think it's quite fashionable to to give Cockers a bit of a kick in because he is a shouty man, you know, mm. an angry man permanently. It's easy to ca- create a caricature of, of, of him as just being a, an angry man that hasn't got any um, really coaching skills. And I think that's a very harsh um, criticism to take. I think Cockers in his time here showed numerous occasions what a good coach he was and I think um, after he is gone after he left 
the fact that some of the problems fell apart fairly quickly probably shows that he wasn't the only issue that uh, there was at the club at the time. He may have, it probably was right for him to go. The time was up. But I think it shows that actually there was more going on behind the scenes that Cocker probably was holding it all together rather well. Um, and history, I think, hopefully will t- give him a kind, um, will teach him kindly after his time at Tigers. However, let's turn our attentions to, as you say, what we think is going to happen. The Telegraph uh, this afternoon reported that an approach has now been made to Leicester for Steve Borthwick and negotiations are now started between the RFU and uh, Leicester in terms of getting the release of Steve. So I suspect we're talking about how much, you know, to buy the contract out and the timing element of when Steve leaves Leicester and come across. I suspect, you know, from all parties, actually, a quick and easy departure is probably best both for Leicester and for um, for England as well. This is quite an interesting um, thing, really, because for the last month, we have sort of sat on, I think it's probably safe for us to say this now, but we have sat on this a little bit. We did understand from about three or four weeks ago that Steve had agreed to be the next England uh, coach. We decided to sit on it, mainly because, one, it doesn't do us any, doesn't do the club uh, much good if we announced it. We're not journalists. We have nothing to gain from this. And we are fans, so we, we decided it would probably hurt the club if we blabbered on. Secondly, the club would probably cut ties with us and make us persona non grata, which you'd uh, quite understand. Uh, and as you've noticed, we have started to get a few more interviews out of the club, so we didn't want to put that at jeopardy. And thirdly, we weren't sure who is to know and who was to know. And if we were to start blabbering on three or four weeks ago, something's possibly very classified news, we may have put someone at in jeopardy at the club so we've decided to sit on it so that looks very convenient now I, I i must admit so you'll have to trust us on this one but let's but by the by so we think steve's going to be um the next england coach would he be your choice i think he would be um i think he's always been he's always had his eye on that job and i think the our viewers have always had their eye on him um and when we came when he came to us i think it was almost straight away the conversation was well if he wants to be England coach he really needs to be a head coach at a club first and get his eye in. I, and I, I always got the feeling that the agreement was you know you've got a real coup here in getting Steve Borthwick in as head coach he'll do a fantastic job for you but it's probably only going to be temporary because the England job is going to be available after the World Cup and he will probably go off at that point so I think that's always been the master plan for that to happen and I think um, Tigers appointed him on that basis. Fans accepted him on that basis. We always knew that this was something that was going to something that was going to happen eventually. Um, the spanner in the works is the fact that uh, Eddie Jones. No part of the plan involved Eddie Jones going before the World Cup, um, which is a bit of an issue, really. Um, had we uh, managed to hold on to him until the World Cup, that would have been you know the, the story completed in the way we we expected it. Um, the fact that he's going now so soon after what was one of the, the one of the most incredible seasons of being a Tigers fan that I can remember in the decades that I've been following the club, um, it you know I don't think we can blame him. Um, it saddens the story a little bit, um, but I, I I can't speak for all fans, but he'd certainly go with my blessing if that's what happened. Um, you know, it's not that. Um, uh, it's not that he's left his high and dry. This was always part of the plan. He was always 
it, it's always been understood that he wanted the England job. We always accepted that. Um, he's led us out of the doldrums into some of the best times that I can remember as a supporter. And we'll always be grateful for that. We'll always be thankful for it. And I think the least we can do is give him our blessing as he goes. Yeah, I, I quite agree with that. And I think, in hindsight, the, the Premiership final win um, all those months ago in, in glorious sunshine, I think it almost set a... The, the upside, obviously, is obviously you win and you celebrate. The downside is that it almost sets a ticking clock to Steve's departure because as soon as, you know, to take a team that's 11th and down and out when he took over in 24 months to take that into the champions of England is a remarkable story. And it's almost unparalleled across all sports. You know, Leicester city's rags to, to the 5,000 to one tale is up there as the greatest story of it. Leicester to what Leicester Tigers and what Steve has done in that 24 months is, is, is unparalleled, you know, to do that. I know Tigers are a big club and a big institution, but, Still, to have gone to how bad we were and to take that into something how good we were last season, it is remarkable. And, you know, it, as soon as he, you are right, as soon as he came to the club, we all knew that he was always going to be, if not the favourite, in the, certainly in the top two or three, it was always going to be a likely thing. That's the deal we've always accepted and that's the deal we've took. You know, and as soon as we won the league last year, it was always going to be, right, he's catapulted himself right into the... Um, uppermost thought process of it and you know it links into what the current situation is if you do sack a manager as we have done with Eddie 12 months before a World Cup there probably is only two options you can go and Steve probably is one of the best options in terms of coming in at the 11th hour and taking England over you know he knows the league he knows the 40 or 50 so players he's got to choose from he knows you know, the style of play that would suit those players. And he's got, is he intense enough and he's detailed enough to be able to work on it religiously over the next 12 months to make sure that the team was prepared as anything to go into it. So by almost by almost default, once you make the decision that Eddie's not your man, Steve probably is the only call you can make. You either keep Eddie or go with Steve. You know, as soon as Gatland, you know, as of Monday went went with Wales, that's the only outside choice you may be you, alternative to Steve that was realistic you could have had. So I think, like you say, it once Eddie's once you made that call about Eddie, it's it's phone time to Steve, isn't it? Really, I think it is. I think as well as that is, uh, you know, if anyone's demonstrated the fact that uh, he's got the ability to turn things around and get results in a very short period of time, well, Steve has now done that. Has he? That's another massive tick on his CV. Um, yeah, he really was the only choice that it could be. Um, I mean, Gatland, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced how much he was ever truly an option, how much that was media talk. Um, but I strongly suspect that, I mean, as you said, there was a supposedly a deal tied up three, four weeks ago that Borthwick was going to be the next man. Um, I it, it was either going to be Borthwick coming in straight away or it was just somebody, maybe even Cockrell, um, for the inter, for the interim. And maybe that was always the plan as well. Um, it could only really have been Steve and the RFU, I think, have known for some time that uh, it was the next man. So it's just a case of, you know, what happens once the trigger is pulled. So obviously Steve going, one of the concerns is, obviously, who does he take with him? Now, obviously, my immediate thought was Steve will go and take Alid and Kev uh, with him. It seemed to me that they came as a package. However, the... Um, 
Telegraph, as we said earlier, reporting that Leicester are blocking or not allowing, I think is the, to use a broad polite term, not allowing England to take um, Alid and Kev. However, it looks likely that Wiggy will be, Richard Wigglesworth will be going um, with Steve. In a way that doesn't surprise me, actually, because my concern is obviously Steve going is a, isn't great to start with. But then if you take out Alid and Kev, you're effectively taking out the, 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 the Holy Trinity, you know, the Brains Trust. It's quite clear that those three are the senior members of the coaching team. That's where the sort of the power base comes from. And obviously with Alid, to me, he's the effectively deputy sort of number two. You, you see him on the training ground. You see him on the um, in the warm-ups. He's very much Steve's eyes and ears of, of what's going on. He's clearly a well-valued member of the team. However, obviously, if they do stay, that is good news. And that probably gives an idea of what Leicester wants to happen um, moving forward in terms of the next steps after Steve. Yeah, I mean, one option is somebody like Sinfield taking on the head coach role if he, uh, if he stays. Um, that would be a very popular move, I'm quite sure. I mean, who doesn't love having Sinfield? And what kind of player... Um, what kind of player isn't going to listen to what Simfield does? He's the kind of you know, kind of coach you can imagine. Um, if he turns to his players and says, could you run through that brick wall for me, please? Well, certainly, sir. How fast? How many times would you like me to bash through it? Um, he's got that kind of respect. Um, what I worry about, though, is how long they'll be staying. I mean, the fact that uh, we wouldn't stand, you know, we, we would uh, ensure that we keep them. Um, that's one thing, but I don't know how long's left on their contract. Is that going to be? Uh, you know, are they contracted perhaps to the end of the season? Um, in which case, they'll stick around, see out the contract, then they'll go afterwards. That's a possibility, um, but stuff like that's shrouded in secrecy. If we can keep hold of them, absolutely fantastic because they've been absolutely integral um, for our, you know, with our success over the last couple of years, particularly last season. Um, Kevin Sealford absolutely sorted the, the defence out of treat um, and the fitness instilled by Alan Wal- Alan Walters and the players um, was pretty much the reason we were able to last the course in so many games last season. Um, so those two guys are absolutely integral. Um, if we've managed to f- find a way to keep hold of them permanently, then absolutely fantastic. And that really would uh, temper the blow somewhat of losing Borthwick. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think... To lose one is bad enough, but to lose all three just rips at the heart out of the season. Catastrophic, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think if you're to lose all three, you might, as much as Brett, Tom Harrison, and Wiggy, if he was to stay, which is what I, which was my original thought process, as much as they can hold the four, I think that effectively would kill the season and it does cause more issues. Yeah. I suspect what will happen is that we will, like you, I don't think. Anyone really knows the contract length. No one knows the contract length of Steve. I mean, I've heard two different dates. I think everyone seems to be guessing on that. Same with Kevin. It's the same with with Alid as well. I think what will happen is I suspect that it, we will turn around and say to, to Steve, you can have Alid and Kev, but at the end of this season, um, I think part of the succession planning that Tigers have got, I suspect, will be linked into our original thought process, which is that Steve will go... We originally thought Steve would go in 12 months' time or summer next year. We would then take on a, a coach post-World Cup to join the club just, you know, 12 months' time, December 23, to take us forward with 
with Brett and the other coaches doing a sort of a, a, a holding pattern, if nothing else, just to sort of hold the fort. I suspect if we can keep hold of, I think our thought process really is to keep hold of Allard and Kev for as long as we can, just to keep the disruption to a bare minimum this season, just to give us half a chance of doing something this year. I think if you keep hold of Allard and Kev this season, I think you'd almost have what Quinns did a couple of years ago, a sort of a coaching committee where you don't have a de facto head of that, but you have a committee where Alid looks after S&C. Um, Kevin obviously keeps his role as defence. You know, everyone keeps their same roles, but everyone just mucks in and you have a sort of a, a selection committee by on a Tuesday where five or six of them all to get together and, and pick their team and there's no real leader. So I suspect that may be what happens. Or we ask Alid or Kev, one of Alid or Kev just to be front and centre of it. But again, it's a, everyone yeah. mucks in to get us through. Obviously, with Stephen, obviously this is there's still a lot unknown about this. But let's work on the basis that Steve will be in place with England by the end of this week. That seems to be what the media is reporting. That seems to be what the the mood music is is suggesting. So as of Friday, Steve will get or Thursday or Friday this week, Steve will get announced as as England coach. He may get the Ospreys game. I suspect that probably is unlikely, but you just don't know what happens there. What do you think happens next? Goodness. Um, Let's word it first. What, well, do, you I, think, I think what do you think will happen? And then we'll go into what do you what would you like to happen? So what do you think yeah. will happen first? Well, I think the fact that um, the press, the, the presser for Wednesday has now been uh, postponed or cancelled, as we believe, don't we? the one that, uh, st- that Borthwick was supposed to be doing. That was the supposed to be this afternoon. That was this oh, afternoon. Uh, yes. Fuck it, today is Wednesday, absolutely, yeah. Been that kind of week already. Yeah, that was supposed to be this afternoon. That's been cancelled or postponed. Um, that's not a good sign. Um, the fact that... Uh, I, I mean, you know what Steve Borthwick's like? If there was... Uh, you know, if nothing was set in concrete, um, he would have just stand there with a you know, with his poker face on and said, I'm just focused on the next game and would have had that stock answer. But that's not happening. Suggests that something is happening. So if it's been postponed by uh, until Friday, I suspect that's that's in place for Friday, so we can step. So uh, Borthwick then comes out and says, "Yep, yeah, that's right. That's what's happened. I've signed a contract with England. I'll be leaving Tigers with immediate uh, effect. I've enjoyed my time here. Thank you and goodbye." I suspect that's what's going to happen, and that's probably by the looks of it going to happen on Friday. Yeah, I uh, clearly the, the move to move it to Friday is um, to take the sting out of today would have been carnage on the press conference. It wouldn't have been <laughs> fun. It wouldn't have been fun for anyone. Um, it was steam coming out of Steve's ears, I should imagine. Well, well, one of the weaknesses, it's, it is an interesting point because one of the weaknesses Steve has got about the England job. One, obviously, he isn't a been in a head coach for very long. Secondly, obviously, he hates the media. I think it's quite a. It's not, um, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't come as any surprise to anyone. He absolutely detests everyone and everything to do with the media. Whereas obviously with England, managing the media is a big part of it. So it would have been an interesting, if anything, test case for him. Because, you know, what would have happened today would have been pretty similar to what he gets from an interesting thing. But either way, it's been postponed to Friday, like you said. I suspect even if it's not Steve, it might just be Alid. So I think it's it's been announced the press conference is about a half an hour to an hour after the team announcements on Friday. So I suspect that's to take the sting out of this week. And then it will be very much a case of the team's been announced. Steve's been announced. 
we're only talking about the game. And if you don't want to talk about the game, we're not going to answer it. I suspect that's the reason for Friday's press conference, just to make it as dull as possible, which is fair enough. Obviously, now we think that Steve is likely to go. What in terms of succession then? So let's work on the basis that Allard and Kev are still contracted to the club. At the moment, we think Allard and Kev will stay at the club until the end of the season. We don't know much more than that. Tigers were presented almost with a, with two options. You either go to get a new head coach in immediately and give them a free four-year deal. You either get an interim in for 12 months until you get your preferred choice, or you don't have any interim and effectively the existing coaching staff that are there hold the fort and manage it until you get your replacement in, in 12 months' time. Of those three options, what do you think is the most likely to happen? Well. I think you probably heard the same as I did uh, that over the summer um, that Tigers actually got very proactive and actually turned to the RFU and said, right, is an approach going to be coming for Steve? Do you, do you want to talk to him or not? Can we talk about this now so we can get some kind of succession plan in place? Which, you know, fair play, which, you know, in the space of five years, I mean, I think everyone's had their fingers burned by the, uh, I hate to bring it up, the, the Matt O'Connor thing. You know, the fact that uh, you know, we, we got rid of Cockle and then went, right, OK, now what? And then looked around the world, uh, picked out the best coaches that are available in the world and then appointed Matt O'Connor. Um, so we don't want to be doing that again. No. Um, so there is there is clearly a succession plan in place, but I can't imagine that any part of that succession plan expected Eddie Jones to go now. So I don't think we're going to have a ready-made head coach available um, if Steve goes on Friday to then have somebody in place uh, by Friday evening. I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think what's likely to happen, um, if we're now keeping hold of Sinfield and Walters, I would suspect one or the other, or maybe even both of them, do an interim job until the end of the season. Um, I then suspect if they're then going at the end of the season, that's when the succession planning really kicks in and we appoint someone new. And what I'd like to hope in terms of the uh, the new permanent head coach, which I assume will be the end of the season, is that we go big. Um, my initial thought was, um, you know, well, you've got to be um, you've got to be ambitious. The kind of calibre we're looking for, you know, why not, why not look at Scott Robertson? I understand that's probably a bit fanciful. Uh, we perhaps don't have the cash that, uh, you know, even if he was going to come over to the Northern Hemisphere and do um, you know, do club rugby. I shouldn't imagine we'd be able to match the finance of a French club. In any case, um, regardless of what's been reported today, I still suspect he's going to be the All Black coach in twelve months' time. So you probably rule him out. Um, after the, beyond that, it starts getting difficult. I mean, one name I've just seen mentioned, uh, you know, just in uh, just while we uh, took a break there, um, I saw Jim Hamilton had tweeted a suggestion of Leo Cullen would be an interesting pick. I don't know if that's on the cards at all. Um, but it really is quite interesting because it's, there's no obvious candidate to take over with us at the moment. But I'd like to hope that we've got someone lined up and that we could go we could go big um, because I think that's what's needed to uh, you know push us on to the next level from where we've been. No, I, I I agree. For what it's worth, I suspect as you've mentioned, the succession planning was based around a twelve month um, for twelve months time, effectively end of the season. In between the World Cup or just after the World Cup, we would have Steve would leave, someone else would come in. And I suspect we will continue with that. I think as a club, we have had our fingers burnt by making a rash decision about rushing into something 
and ultimately cocking it up and making a bit of a howler of doing so. Like you said, the Matt O'Connor era is burned all into our memory bank, um, unfortunately. So I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. What also linked into that is if you look at out of work managers you or coaches around at the moment, as we sit here today, there really isn't a lot. You know, there is very little in terms of options to bring in and who's realistic as well. Um, well, Steve Diamond and Lee Blackett are two to start with, but are they what we're looking for? Well, again, you're, what we're looking for, in my opinion, is someone to take us forward until the next World Cup in 2027. You almost need to go, who's going to take us through for the next five years? And then we can almost, as a club, we operate alongside the World Cup um, sort of cycles almost. The reality is in 12 months time, post-World Cup, you're going to have an abundance of coaches and support staff who are going to come back out into the market because ultimately they people will want fresh challenges. They're certainly not going to leave this side of the World Cup unless they're, they're sacked. And people there'll be more options available and they'll want to see what's out there. So I suspect we will move forward in 12 months time. So with that in mind, in terms of um, names to sort of to throw into the mix, I will start off with my sort of preferred first choice. You, I know you mentioned Robertson. I think for me, I'd love Scott Robertson. Robertson for me, just it leans too close to just being out of almost just out of touch. I think, but I'd, I'd absolutely yeah. love us to throw. If nothing else, it'd be interesting to see if we have approached him out of just a sounding, just to say if it happened, would you? It'd be interesting if we have made that call, whether he has sort of sounded us out, and if he has sort of said, no, "I'm interested." It would be interesting to see if we could do a deal there, but I suspect that might not happen. And like you've just said, he will hold out for the New Zealand job. The name I would like to throw forward in terms of post-World Cup would be Paul O'Connell. He's currently, um, you know, Ireland's forwards coach, captain of Munster, captain of Ireland, captain of the Lions, a real leader of men, drove for standards in every team that he was a part of, a real force of nature in terms of his character, a terrific player, hard as nails. And as a man of Munster, he will get the Leicester sort of culture and in terms of the expectations that are thrown at you. And he will get what I always think Munster and Leicester are pretty similar sort of clubs. They have that sort of similar sort of vibes, history, fans, similar sort of outlooks and stuff like that. So I suspect he'd be able to come into Leicester and be able to sort of deal with you know, the crowd, the expectations and what comes with um, comes with that. His Island forwards coach, Island, whatever you, you like to think of, of, of section at 10, Island are a very well-drilled set of forwards. They're hard, they're gnarly, they're tough. They're very well-drilled. They look very well-organised. He knows a line out inside and out. To me, if he were to do a starting point, you know, he isn't, obviously, Farrell has signed a new contract with Island that takes him up until 27. So there is a significant wait uh, for to get the Ireland gig. He hasn't got any head coach experience, which does count against him. However, Steve didn't when he came to us. For me, if you wanted someone to go, look, for the next four years to take us forward and to dangle that carrot of, look, if you do a good job with us, you can be thrown in the mix for the Ireland job, that would be Paul O'Connell. I think mean, that's a great shout, actually. No, I think you might be right on the money. Very similar kind of appointment uh, to Borthwick that would be as well. Um, you know, for the reasons that you said, if he wants to advance himself, it's going to be time for him to have a, uh, a club gig. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, Eddie, do I remember correctly, he was linked with us once before, a few years back in some capacity. May even have been under Murphy. Did I remember that right or not? I'm not sure. Not sure. So 
I, it would be wrong of me to say if you could be right. I just don't know on that one. Uh, somebody, somebody can perhaps jog my memory on Twitter later, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure that came. I'm, I'm sure that came up at one point. That he was linked with us. Yeah, he would tick a lot of boxes. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be sad about that at all. So there are a few um, other options as well. And to be fair, you have mentioned um, one of them with Leo Cullen. I always think that's an interesting um, shout because it's always the million dollar question: How much of that is Stuart Lancaster? How much is it with um, with Leo Cullen? I think. After um, Leinster, I think he may want a fresh challenge, but again, he might just go, look, I'm I'm happy here and, and don't want the stress of moving. But I certainly think um, Cullen, Leo Cullen would be, would be one of them. We've mentioned Scott Robinson. Another one to throw into the mix, obviously, is um, Rassi. Uh, the, the man with a video, <laughs> the, the man who can vid, uh, record a video uh, tape better than anyone else. Again, this would be his second World Cup in 12 months' time. He could be someone to go, actually, I want a fresh challenge, whether, no matter what happens at, with the World Cup in, in South Africa. He may just go, I want I fancy a, uh, a gig somewhere else doing something different. Well, it'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, uh, it'd be a very different kind of uh, press conference and interview that we got with Borthwick. So, yeah, a little bit chalk and cheese there. Um, well, there's no doubt on the results that he gets. It would be... Uh, you know, he's certainly got the caliber. I think it's whether the personality would fit there, and uh, whether um, yeah, be interested to see what the reaction to the fans would be to that as a suggestion. But uh, yeah, that would be interesting. I think to be fair, I think Rassi for me is Marmite. Um, so I think he could. I think he splits opinion everywhere <laughs> which way he goes. Some more options to to sort of talk through. We've got McFarland at Ulster, currently in contract until. I think 2025. So that would involve spending a bit of money uh, on doing so. But also, I always think have a similar sort of playing style to Ty because they do like a bit of a big pack. He seems to encourage that. He's brought a few hefty South Africans over and uh, he's got some exciting backline talent out there. I personally, if we could do a deal there, I wouldn't be against uh, McFarland from Ulster. I'm not sure he would come across, but I think that would be a good option uh, to have a look at. Yeah, uh, I could go with that. Yeah, okay. Let's tick that one off. Another one to throw into the mix is we'd make ourselves very unpopular with the guys from Gloucester would be George Skivington. Yes. Um, obviously got his links with the club. Um, done a terrific job with Gloucester. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not really something that you see happen a lot uh, in the Premiership is uh, clubs poaching coaches off each other. Um, I guess there's no reason why not, really. It depends how settled and how how much his feet are under the table he feels he is at Gloucester. Yeah. That wouldn't be against it. No, I think so it might be tough. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see that one coming off. I, I imagine, I, I don't know, I, I imagine that would be too much of a tough pull to get him from one club to the other. I think that would stir up, stir up a bit of a hornet's nest, I suppose. Um, but I wouldn't be against it. I, I, I agree. Skivington, to me, would be uh, an interesting appointment. He's done a really good job, almost a similar sort of job to what Borthwick has done with Leicester. When he took over Gloucester, they were in a bit of a mess. Uh, unbalanced squad. I think there were some issues behind the scenes. The Cipriani circus had come through and um, had caused some issues there. And he, what he's done with them, their pack is fantastic. I mean, their driving all game is, is really, really good. 
he he has got a ready-made coaching staff, so that might cause an issue because you've got Don Waldock and others in in around there. But I think the work that they've done at Gloucester is is superb, and I wouldn't be against it. He, he potentially could come straight away. Might have to wait. Depend again. There's a few things to, to factor in there. The last one that I think could be a serious option, and this would you mentioned about stirring a hornet's nest. This one I think would would kick. I kick would would do more than that. I think I, it's worth it for the for the entertainment that it would cause. Sam Vesti, head coach oh, currently. Oh, yes. head, Sam Vesti currently is head coach at Northampton. Now, Frampton have a different coaching structure to us. They have a director of rugby, Phil Dowson, who I think looks after the forwards. Sam Festi is head coach with an emphasis on the attack, and they have different support coaches for S&C, um, defence and so on and so forth, scrum as well. So, But Festi is head coach already at Northampton. Festi is uh, a well-known Tigers legend, uh, grew up at the club, came through Hinkley Boy, uh, part of some of the great teams of Leicester is fondly remembered uh, by us as fans. Gone into coaching is probably one of the best regarded young coaches around there. He's attacking um, prowess as a coach is, is second to none. A, a set, to throw into the mix as an option, it, it would, this would be my second choice if we, if we could do it, would be Sam Vesti as, um, as head coach with an emphasis on his attack and then a support staff based around either um, Kevin Allard, if obviously we can we can keep that dream team together with Brett, Tom Harrison and uh, Matt Everard um, staying. Or the alternative would be if we can't keep hold of Kev and um, Allard into next season. Obviously, you keep Sam Fessy as your um, head coach. You've got Brett as, head, Brett as head of the breakdown. Tom Harrison looking after the scrums. Matty Everard, who I think was brought in for a reason. I think there was no coincidence that we went after Matty after leaving Wasps. I think he would look after the defence. He is highly regarded at Wasps and um, has had numerous jobs there. And then we would need to look into getting a forwards coach to accompany Brett to do the lineouts and stuff like that. I would propose another name for you to have a look at as forwards coach would be Lewis Deacon. Lewis Deacon or yeah. Jeff Parlin. Both are doing um, some really good coaching. One, Lewis is with the England ladies team, the Red Roses. And as we saw, they did an awesome job. I mean, their mauling game in the final is testament to Lewis Deacon's coaching skills. They absolutely took him apart up front. That was sensational from the Red Roses there. Jeff, obviously down in Australia, again, doing some hard work, doing some really good stuff down there as well. So that would be my second choice as a, uh, as a, and that really would kick it all off with, with poaching Festy from our, our nearest and dearest. Cool. Could you, could you imagine any kind of negotiations and trying to meet some kind of agreement between us and Saints to make that happen? I, God, I'd love it, actually. I, I'm, I'm almost sold on that idea myself. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a Leicester lad. When he went to Saints, you know, you've got to always look at that and think, well, you know, surely he's only on loan there. He'll be back one day. Um, but, you know, I, I think the ideal kind of Leicester coach that we'd all like, we'd all like somebody who's got the Leicester identity that we all strive but somebody who's also cut the teeth as a coach and uh, has got the experience to do it. Yep, he would uh, he would certainly fit that bill. Um, yeah, I, I think getting some kind of agreement to get away from Saints though can't see it. But it's a nice idea. <laughs> no, I, I, it is very it's worth it for because it would upset so many people, and, and for that reason, it, it's worth doing. But I 
I well, I think just mentioning that now is going to uh, just mentioning that now is going to stir up the, uh, the Saints fan groups, isn't it? So yeah, I'd, I'd like to get that rumor out there just for that to be honest. Yeah, we'll just say that he's been seen at Morrison's next to the uh, next to the ground. He was just buying a, a drink or something. That will that usually sets the uh, the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, I think you're right. I think just to, to if we bring this to um, to a close on this section of it, I think this is obviously a sad moment for the club in terms of losing Steve. It's as much as we've all sort of known in our heart of hearts, this is likely to happen. The fact it's now come so soon and so suddenly, it, it does, we are having to deal with this on the on very much slap bang in the face of us. So it is it is tough. But I think, like you say, it is inevitable. Uh, it is a massive shame that Steve is going. But like you said, he leaves with all of our uh, well wishes. I think like you've just said, in terms of what comes next, I think of who is the uh, successor, I think those key qualities are the key uh, main things here. They've got to have an understanding of what Leicester is about. You know, there has got to be an understanding that this is a forward-centred club. I know that that's not quite as jazzy as maybe as other clubs, but I think in this league and at this club, you've got to have the fundamentals in terms of your forward pack and and what comes there. So I think that's got to be an appreciation of that. And I think there's got to be a, um, like you say, you've got to have some coaching now. And I think... I'd like to think the lessons that have been learned from Steve has been you know, the international level quality of coaching that's come with him. You know, he's we are a coaching staff, not just Steve, that is probably one of the best in league, one of the best in Europe, and they're quite rightly going on to uh, international honours. So it's going to be an interesting time for us. The uncertainty is back at Leicester. Hopefully the uncertainty will not be um, around for too long and we can start getting a plan in place if nothing else, just until the end of the season to keep the, uh, the show on the road until the summer. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I, I echo the sadness, really. It's, um, it, you know, Steve brought about such a, a wonderful period to be a Tigers fan um, through some very difficult times. Um, you know, it's, it seems like the kind of story coming in during lockdown, picking up the team in the, in the situation was. I think he actually came in the day after that, Infamous evening of the, uh, the, you know, the the night of the long knives when uh, Manu contract five, the contract five, yeah, the contract five. So I think he actually arrived the the next day. He must have arrived at the time. God, what have I come to? Um, but just that story, guiding the club through lockdown, using that situation. Um, so right, well, we're going to turn that to our advantage. We're going to bring through these players. We're going to have a look at everyone, see who I fancy, see who I don't, and tell you that short amount of time to make because actual English champions. Um, he's brought some fantastic times. I dare say he'll be given some kind of hero's welcome when he comes back with uh, um, with an England tracksuit on into the stands to go and look at our players again. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's one of those things. Don't be don't be sad that he's going. Be happy that it happened. No, absolutely. And uh, well, stolen my tweet from last night. That, that, that is fantastic. Did, did you say something? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, no, that was... is fantastic. That, that, that is great. No, I, I completely agree. And we'll just to wrap this up, I think, Steve, you probably aren't going to be listening to this. You've got a million other things you are going to be doing. But if you do ever take a chance and, and do listen into this, thank you very, very much. I think from all of us, it's very rare that we ever speak on behalf of Tigers fans on this. But I think we all would like to say thank you. The work that you did. Um, to take us from a team that's down and out into the English champions and to get us dining back at the top table, whether or not we won in the final and irrespective of how this season is going, we are back in amongst the big boys of English rugby. 
and we've got pride and respect and all things that come back into the club. And that is mainly down to you. So I haven't got a beer with me, otherwise I'd raise one. But Steve, thank you very much. Let's move on to, weirdly, the, the, as we were just saying in between this, normally a game like Bristol, 26-all um, draw, had a lot of talking points. Normally that would be front and centre of this podcast. However, it's been relegated to almost minor news, which it says a lot about how mad this uh, this week has been in the last few days. But let's look ahead, look over um, Saturday night. 26 all. Another Tigers game where um, we get ourselves into a lead. Another Tigers game where we didn't turn that lead into a victory. And whilst we didn't come away with a defeat, it sure did feel like one from from my perspective. We had red cards, yellow cards, numerous different um, controversies. However, we did manage to escape with a draw and two points. Ian, what did you what did you make of your Saturday night viewing? It was wild, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was a really <laughs> nuts game. I mean, it's uh, you know we start off um, a bit of a slow start and seeded uh, the lead and. Uh, you know, Bristol came back with another try with it afterwards, but uh, it seemed to me like the game swung a little bit on the. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about the uh, Randrandra and uh, Van Vec incidents in uh, quite a lot more detail shortly. But mm. I do think the game sort of swung either side of those. We sort of capitalised when 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 Randrandra uh, was off for ten minutes, and it was that period where we got uh, we got our tries in and looked to be building a good lead. Looked to be building a good performance. Everything was going right. Dan Kelly putting the strings absolutely superbly. Dan Cole rolling back the years. Everything was looking swimmingly at that point. And uh, we started getting towards half time. I think we were, you know, everyone was sort of looking, nodding towards each other, going, yep, good off. This could turn into a pretty decent win. There's a chance of a bonus point on the table at this point. And then it just didn't happen. Um, Looked so sitting comfortably, and you're right. It is it is a concern that the fact that we didn't put points on the board in the second half. I think regardless of uh, the red card swinging thing, things further against us, um, it's a pattern where we're you know not winning games when we've been in winning positions. Um, and I, if we're not concerned by that, I think we should be because something isn't quite right there this season. We were we were seeing those games out last year. Could be a number of reasons, but uh, yeah, a bit of a mad game, all told. I I, I agree. The, the game for me is almost um, a continuation of what we said about last week, where Leicester almost contradiction in terms, where they're so close to getting yeah. it right, yet they end up so far off. You know, we do so many good things that we just combine it with 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 duff stuff as well. You know, it's another game where the second half is just we just never got going. It's another game where we learned some lessons from the previous week, but but not others. You know, our penalty count, for example. So the penalty count against Irish was was perceived to be the problem, where it wasn't the number of penalties, but it was the type of penalties given away, stupid penalties in the mid, in the midfield, which gave Irish an opportunity to kick into the twenty-two and set up a driving wall and opportunities to score. For the first fifty minutes, Leicester didn't concede a penalty. You know, that, that is a remarkable. Um, level of discipline and it looked like we cracked that in terms of if you did you know you don't give away any penalties you don't lose your own momentum you don't give your opposition any opportunity to score so it looked again 
but we turned but we turned a corner in that. However, we still haven't learned what to do in terms of managing the second half. It still feels like we go into our shells in terms of instead of being proactive and positive and trying to control the game and trying to own the territory in the possession, it still feels like we go back into our shells a little bit and it's almost going to conservation mode and we'll hold on to what we've got rather than um, take the opposition out. Now, I will count, caveat my own argument a little bit because these are fine margins. Charlie Atkinson, bless him, came on cold um, because of Freddie Burns' HIA. Hadn't kicked, obviously had done in the warm-up, but had come onto the field and the first thing he's got to do is start kicking a couple of goals. He missed two pretty straightforward conversions. I think if he'd get those, that's probably game, game one, that's game done. The second one is obviously Guy Porter in the second half. You know, it's fractions away from catching the ball, but in that game, in the in that moment, in that context, I think if he holds onto the ball and crosses the line, again, I think that kills the game stone dead. So this is, we're not massively off, is the point I'd like to say. This is very fine margins. However, it's still another second half where we just seem to go into our shell a little bit and we don't help ourselves. And by not killing the game off, the opposition have always got a sniff, especially someone like Bristol, who can score at any moment in time from anywhere. And that's exactly how it proved in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, it, it comes down to game management, doesn't it? I think last season, I mean, I, I think I think we we're going to talk about this uh, shortly anyway, but I think what we're missing is uh, um, somebody who maybe last season, somebody like George Ford, would have been putting the strings and actually seeing that game down, using some quite clever kicking, um, not you know, knocking Bristol back as they came at us. I mean, of course, you know, we, we haven't got George Ford because he's left, but we also wouldn't have had George Ford now, um, if, even if he'd stayed, because you know the, the nature of the injury picks up in the final. Um, and you know, I, I love Freddie Burns, and who doesn't love Freddie Burns monsters? He's uh, again another one of those people who's given us. Uh, fantastic moment he'll dine out for that forever but his game management isn't George Ford's and I think that's what we missed in that game I think it's what we've missed in some of these games where we've not seen it out is just the ability to take the sting out of the game to knock the ball into the corners to find some space um, and just keep things ticking over Burns isn't that kind of fly off. I mean, he can be that fly off, but um, he seems to be a bit of a stage of the minute of, uh, you know, you've spoken on the last few pods, just, you know, those percentage kicks, the, the very sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 the ones that got the low percentage payoffs at the end. He's doing a little bit too much of that. Um, and he's not managing the game in the way that um, we'd see games out from that situation. Um, so yeah, it is a bit of a concern and you'd like to hope that somebody else takes up the leadership on the pitch of doing that as well it shouldn't just be down to the fly off to do it um, but I think yeah I think that's the key I think that's where we're not doing it um, it's that in-game management No I think you're I think you're spot on it, I've been trying to think of what the difference is and I think the difference really is between us and last year I think is George Ford and it's George Ford's game management in particular like, like you've just said I think if that anything that personified what we were about and what made us so clever last year. I think it is George Ford and George Ford's brain, which got, got us over the line on numerous occasions. It is obviously disappointing the game that we've let slip another lead because I total that as eight points now let go from winning positions. You know, we lost to Exeter on the opening game of the season by giving away a daft penalty, which gave them an opportunity. Same against Bath. Minutes ago, we'd won the game. Yet, 
we give away a scrum penalty that gives them an opportunity to boot into the corner. That's another three points lost. And again, on um, Saturday, we get ourselves into a promising lead. Now, thankfully, this wasn't last-minute heartbreak again. However, we still turned a victory into a draw. So that's another two points lost. So that's eight points, I believe, we've 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 lost, and mainly through our own bad stuff. I think we, if we were tidying up our work and better at what we were doing, and like you say, managed the game better, we'd be eight points better off. Now, to put that into context, if you look at the league table, if you were to stick on three, six or eight points, we're either uh, above Northampton, into third or second. You know, that is the, the difference of where, between where we are now at the moment, a fifth, a bit off the pace, or seconds sitting pretty uh, going into the halfway point of the season. So again, it, it is that we're very, very close to getting this right. But the more we don't get it right, the further we seem to get back in from the top pack and we're back in the middle pack. And it puts more pressure onto us as we go into uh, next the second half of the season. Now, Saturday's game, as you've alluded to, had numerous different um, controversies. And I was one of those people who was critical of a referee. I'm not going to hide away from that. So let, there's a few incidents that we can we can have a look at. So let's start off with Semi Rendranda, um, a ferocious hit on um, Freddie Burns, given a yellow. Ian, what did, what did you make of that? Um, I think it would have been... I think it's one of those ones that you could argue either way, really. Yeah. Um, yes, Burns is falling, um, and Burns is low when he's hit, um, and that's the mitigation. Um, but then there's a... You know, and so for that reason, I'd find it hard to disagree too much with him getting a yellow. Um, but then there's other factors I'm going to bring in as well. The fact that... Um, Van Duranger's coming in a hell of a force there. Um, there's, you know, you could only describe that as reckless and out and out of control. There's also the point where I'm, I'm not what I'm not seeing it for a few days, but I'm quite sure Burns had released the ball. So he, he, Burns didn't have the ball when Van Duranger hit him. So it was already late. So that's already foul play. So does mitigate? Shouldn't mitigation then go out the window for that? Um, and it's also the fact. I mean, you, obviously we'll talk about Van Vakes again. Well, if you look at the two incidents, one got red and one got yellow, there's no doubt in my mind that the more dangerous of the two tackles was Randrandra's. Um, you know, it, it was it was an absolutely shuddering hit. I mean, you can sort of feel watching the telly, you know, the gasps from the crowd in terms of how big that hit was. And I don't know. I mean, maybe the letter of the law is right, and that's what's been given. Um, but the law's an ass sometimes. I mean, I, I just would like to think that the law has some kind of consideration of the, you know, more of the force of the tackle and the, the impact and the fact that one is clearly more dangerous than the other and the one that was less dangerous wasn't the one that got the red card. Um, so, yeah, maybe within the letter of the laws, it's absolutely right that Vandrandras was yellow, but I think the laws should see that as a red myself. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, Having thought about it a bit over the last few days, I think the example you've just given, I think, is a perfect um, explanation of, of the position. Is that under the letter of law, if you, I was trying to think what would have happened if I if it was a Leicester player in that position, and you'd all, if it was a Leicester player making that tackle, you would scream, "He's, du he's ducked! He's ducked! He's ducked!" And it is under the laws; it is a key mitigation. And I think Maxwell Keys was almost by the letter of the law was putting no. 
was almost left with no other option but to give a yellow. Yes, it's out of control. Yes, it is reckless, but he has dipped. I think Randrad is a very lucky boy. And I think it, on another day with another ref, it could have been a red and maybe should have been a red. And I think, but like you say, I can understand why it was a yellow. And I think I would have been going, he's ducked, he's ducked if, as mitigation. You have, what you've mentioned there in terms of the Van Vake one is a perfect point because like you just said, what's the more dangerous tackle? Probably the Randranda one. Van Vaek hasn't really set out to hurt anyone. He's just got it, got his positioning wrong and it's driven an elbow into the head. By the letter of law, it's a red card. What do you want to be stopping? Probably the Randranda tackle. That's the more dangerous one. That's the one you want to outlaw. So it is an interesting thing and this isn't easy. And I think Saturday's game actually showed an example to the lawmakers that actually, actually to people watching, this stuff isn't easy to get right, but it probably does need to be a bit of a rethink about what we want to stop here and the behaviours we want to be encouraging, the behaviours we don't want to be encouraging, because no one can really tell me that that tackle by Randranda is really the the, the street, uh, the, you know, street legal way we want to be playing the game. However, there was a couple of uh, opportunities, uh, a couple of other things to talk about. The Genge, um, people's elbow into the head of Whitcomb. I think on another day, I love Genji to pieces. I think that probably should have been a yellow. I'm amazed that that wasn't looked at. Um, by the very nature, I think it should have been a, at least a penalty. What did you uh, What did you think? Well, it was a bit naughty, wasn't it? Um, yes. It, it, it's clearly, yeah, you know, it, it's clearly Gens trying to set down a little bit of a marker, and it's probably something they all had a great big laugh about afterwards, as old mates who used to play together. But you can't drive your elbow into somebody's head. That's you know, it, it's there's no doubt that has to have been a penalty. Um, and really should have been a yellow card. I don't think it's red because I don't think the force is there to make no. it a red. But um, there's, you know, it should have been a yellow. I'm surprised that it wasn't picked up by the TMO because, you know, the pictures were quite clear. No, I quite agree. I think it was a penalty slash yellow card. I didn't think it was anything more than that. But I am amazed that it wasn't picked up. Um, whatever was going on there, I find it staggering that it wasn't looked at uh, or addressed by the officiating team. And the last one, um, sort of controversial incident, was the hand in the face of Chesham. When it was a very strange five seconds watching it because of, you just don't see things like that in the game, quite rightly. And thankfully, it, it, it's almost an, a byproduct of an old previous era. It's just that, weird, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, clearly there was just, I think, it, I don't think it was any malicious. I'll give benefit of a doubt to. Um, the Bristol player. I don't think he was trying to do anything maliciously. I think he was just trying to be a bit of a shit house and cover Chesson's face to stop him from being able to see. However, that to me still should have been looked at. I think it's making contact with the eye area. I think it should have been yeah. at least a penalty, probably a yellow card and being told off of stopping a dickhead. I don't think it's any more than, than that, but it didn't look good. And on the no. replay, when it was um, shown on um, Twitter on Sunday it's almost staggering again that it wasn't picked up and it wasn't again gone it should in my opinion it should have gone to formal review and look Craig let's have a look at this what do you think I think it, with all the technology we've got around I thought it was perverse that we didn't go, go down that route well it was telling wasn't it that um, as it was happening BT cut to their camera angle that was looking right at it um, so clearly somebody spotted straight away that it was happening. Um, yeah, regardless of uh, whether it's malicious or just outright shithousery, 
you, you can't have your eye, you can't have your hands in the eye area. Um, that, that at a very low level. I mean, any kind of contact with the eye with the eye area, whether it's deliberate, malicious, or indeed shit out of me, is supposed to be a red card. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that it was. I mean, it, we we saw a very little bit of the incident for the pictures that we've got, but there's a case to answer. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm never too sure what to, what what time frame the sighting period is. But you'd like to think that somebody's had a look at that. And go, that's not right. That needs to be looked at. Uh, but at the very least, that's a penalty. And if it's not going down the route of it being a card, it's at least Maxwell Keys putting him around and saying, "Look, don't be a knob. That's a penalty." Yeah, that that that, uh, that was my immediate thought process. It should have been right. At very at the very least, it should have been stop being a knobhead. You can cut that out. We're not having this on this field. Penalty. And these are a little thing. I don't, I don't want to bag the referees too much here because they do have a tough job. However, the thing that always gets my bonnet on this is always we've got so much technology. You know, I, I'm not interested in 99% of the calls, as frustrating as they are about hands in the ruck or if you're offside or stuff like that. These things do happen. And there was a couple of instances where Cole got Genji on toast in the scrum, which weren't given. As frustrating as that is, referees are human and they miss stuff. And I'm, I can just about live with it. <laughs> reluctantly but I can get on board with it it's the stuff like this where you've got the technology you can see it going on why aren't you you know why are we not utilizing this why are we missing stuff why is this still happening that to me is always the the concern of this so yeah I think like you said the sighting period I think probably we're recording this on Tuesday it's probably another 24 48 hours to run if it's not sighted the the, the, the danger for my point of view is you then have almost open season for other players to think that's now acceptable to start covering the eyes of other players and they get it wrong you know it they they might have innocent intent of i'm going to be a bit of a knobhead and you know hide the eyes and it's all good fun and games if you get it wrong that's a gouge and then suddenly you're looking at a six nine month ban and i think we you just again it comes back to what behaviors do we want to see on a rugby pitch i don't think that's one of them um but that's my little little mantra. Just to start to tidy up uh, before we move on, positives. Any positives we can take from Saturday night? Well, it's about a 10-15 minute period where we looked absolutely ruthless. We looked like we were uh, hitting our lines um, you know, relentlessly, particularly after the yellow card. Um, we were running in some good tries, and there just looks a period where every time we looked, we got the ball, we had brilliant attacking intent, and we looked like we were going to get tries from it. There was more tries out in the field that we didn't get. I think that Porter non-try that we spoke about, that could have killed the game off. Um, there was a lot of good stuff. And at that point, we looked... I think some, somebody even made the comment, there was a period there where we looked like the Tigers of last year. That team is still there. So it's the uh, you know it, it's the little bit behind the eyes that, uh, that that let us down at the end. But there's there some really good flashes. It looked at one point as so it could have ended up being a good famous away win that we could have come away um, and just been sat here now just mercilessly mocking Pat Lamb again. Um, <laughs> you know? You know hey, um, look, I'm all over mocking Pat Lamb. The fact we didn't win is the annoyance because we could have had, um, yeah, we could have had uh, some good fun in that. But no, I quite that agree. Was that. An, that was another highlight, wasn't it? The way that when he was... Uh, you know, when he was being interviewed and how frustrated he was getting at the penalty count and seeing him just, uh, you know, penalty by penalty. And three penalties were conceded while he was talking. 
um, that was just lovely seeing him get wound up by that. But hey, you've got to take the small wins, haven't you? Absolutely, absolutely. So, no, we'll wrap this one up. But again, disappointing from Tigers. But like you say, there was some positives to take from it. So hopefully we can uh, take those into next week. So let's move on to um, homegrown heroes. Um, last vote was for the 14 shirt. Um, four excellent wingers to have a look at. Uh, Adam Thompson, Leon Lloyd, Steve Hackney and Tom Vandell. Ian, who was your shout um, of those four? Ooh, I've changed my mind several times, but I think at the <laughs> end I went for... Uh, um, you know, in spite of having a good week of uh, watching the Hackney tries, that re-emerged. Um, I think my vote uh, went to Lloyd in the end. Um, I think uh, he, just for me, of the ones, he was the one who've got the most great memories of doing fantastic things. Um, and I think he lasted the course a bit longer. So, yeah, I, I think all told I went for Lloyd as the overall package. No, I, I, I agree. I think this one was tough because you could make a case for all four of them, as you can with so many of his different votes. But... I leant towards Leon Lloyd as well in the end. I think, like you said, all-round um, winger, provided some great moments and fully deserved um, to be in that team. And if it meant being on the 14 shirt, then, then it's, I'm glad we've managed to get Tiger's hero into the side. So that leaves us with the final position to fill. Um, and it is the all-important fullback 15 shirt. Now, what comes of this when I was trying to think of suggestions for this is how all-encompassing Jordan Murphy is because of mm. how staggeringly long that career is. Effectively, he means he was ever-present um, for 15 years. It's almost quite hard to find a gap for, for anyone to come through. However, we have got four um, Trevor Chu on, and I'll run them past you for you now. So first of all, Tim Stimson. Secondly, Sam Vesti. Thirdly, Matthew Tate. And fourth is a modern one from the modern era. It's Freddie Stewart. We'll start off with Stimo. Uh, what do you reckon? Oh, he was a colossus in those days. He was uh, you know, absolutely faultless from the tee. Um, big, powerful bloke. Quicker than he looked as well. Um, you know, deceptive, fact, wasn't he? Wasn't he? he was deceptively yeah, quick. I mean, yeah, he often pop up in the wing as well. I mean, him and, him and Murphy essentially um, didn't really have positions between them. They kept chopping and changing between wing and fullback, I think, you know, so much so that uh, when Murphy was trying to get into the island side, um, I believe Stimson actually started wearing the wingish shirt as well. Um, but yeah, he, he was terrific and quite a, you know, quite a long mainstay of the side as well. Um, and, you know, one of the, you know, the great memories he gives us, of course, was Paris and uh, that absolutely incredible um conversion which sealed the game because make no mistake would have probably lost that game if he hadn't got that conversion um and then the other one of course was a year later was that kick at the city ground my word i think was overlooked that day with that kick because i was i was there that day i was uh, sat in the trent end it was unbelievably windy as well it wasn't the wind behind him it was the wind sort of coming across him as well so it wasn't just the distance he had to uh take on board it was a ferocious crosswind as well that he had to compensate for. Um, I think it's a better kick than people realise as well. I mean, despite already looking incredible, so yeah, proper hero. He would. Uh, he's well worthy of a shout. No, absolutely. I think that both those kicks you've 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 touched upon are just staggeringly good. Uh, 
and the key, you know, without those kicks, you don't get the silverware. And and that's a you talk about the importance of a goal kicker. It's those fine margins that that takes you between victory and defeat. The, 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 both kicks are absolute clutch penalties. To 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 do it in the dying embers of a game with all that pressure and from tough, such tough positions, to have the calmness and the ability to to get them over is is absolutely amazing. Uh, so he's definitely a worthy shout. Next is Sam Festi. Uh, we've mentioned him in another capacity earlier on. This time from a playing perspective, maybe not quite first choice. Obviously, he was battling away with with Geordie. There was numerous occasions where Geordie went out to the wing and Sam came in at 15. Um, again, just a very tidy player. lot of skill set to him. Uh, maybe a bit unfortunate to be coming through at Tigers when he's got so much competition for his, for that for that place. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think naturally, originally his uh, natural position was fly half. Hmm. I think he came in um, to show his versatility. I think he made the fullback shirt his own. Would have been around about uh, two thousand and four to two thousand and six, that kind of era. Um, and seemingly out of nowhere, people just sort of looked at him, looked at him along the lines of, uh, you know, "Crikey, is you know he seemed to have really come out of his shell and really made that shirt his own for a couple of seasons." Um, so much so, I think Jordan was playing predominantly out on the wing in those couple of games because you couldn't really leave Vesti out for how well he was playing. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a good all-round package. He, uh, he 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 kicked well off the tee, he kicked well out of hand, he got a good line. Another one with deceptive pace. Um, yeah, I, I think you know, I, I see him more of as uh, um, somebody who fits more in the cult corner of the you know, one of the previous ones that was running rather than the greatest ever. But I think he fully deserves uh, um, his opportunity to be in this one. Yeah, absolutely. I quite agree. Next is Matthew Tate, the guy that has spawned numerous terrible jokes, which we will not cover on this podcast. Yeah, I think However, that might actually have been my fault. Sorry about that. <laughs> you're forgiven, Ian. You're forgiven. Do not worry at all. However, my abiding memory of Tatey is a terrific player and that tackle um, at home to Wasp, which is... You know, for all the great tries that are scored at Welford Road, it's a, probably one of the best moments that are up there is a tackle because it's important. It is a staggering bit of defence work to, to reel in. Uh, I think it's Dan Robson just going for the corner. It looked all encompasses. A, it's a try. Apart from Tatey, I mean, it's a fantastic covering tackle. It was absolutely incredible. The pace that he showed um, to be able to make the tackle in the first place was one thing, but the, the vision to cut that angle off and to be able to sort of read where he was going to be and sort of intercept the exact point to then get him. And then the strength to actually grab him and throw him to touch. It was, it was just absolutely remarkable. It shouldn't have actually been possible. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I mean, and there's, there's so much more to his career beside that as well, but that tackle will just live on in folklore. Uh, I, I quite agree. And, and absolutely right too. The thing with Tatey for me is he came, I think he's, he came as a centre got morphed into a, a fullback and it shows you what a good all-round rugby player he's, he was. So he made that journey and took on the shirt and he didn't look out of place there. He's, you know, brave in a tackle, good vision, decent uh, with ball in hand, decent sidestep, really tidy in his work. You know, just a good all-round solid 15 option that never seemed to let the side down when he played. Yeah, I think his whole career was just sort of born out of resilience, wasn't it? I mean... You know, think back uh, right at the very beginning of his career. I mean, a lesser person would have been his career destroyed by what Gavin Henson did to him in that Six Nations game when he was only about eighteen at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. You 
there's wonderful moments uh, with us. I think it must have been fully 12 years after that game, um, playing against... Uh, it was, it was, Henson was playing for at the time. But Henson played against us at Welford Road and Tate absolutely put him on his arse. I'm like, there you go. That's been a long time. From that <laughs> um, absolutely terrific, that was. And then he came out... He, he was out for a good year or so when he uh, just after he first joined us and then bounced back from that and made fullback his position as well. So again, a real sign of his resilience. Real good fans' favourite uh, as, as he came through as well. Um, yeah, he ticks a lot of the boxes. And I think, you know, for all the successes he had in England in the three quarters, I think I think he played his best rugby for us as a fullback. You know, the best rugby in his career was the time he was playing at fullback for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very fair comment to make. Last but not least is a um, could be seen as quite controversial given how young and how modern this is. But I think given who it is and the impact they've had and what they've done so far, I think he deserves to be in the reckoning. And that's Freddie Stewart. I mean, boy, we've got a t- we've got a good one there. God, he's good, isn't he? No, I think it, I think even though um, even though he's disgustingly young still. I think he he deserves to be in this conversation. Um, I what I really get from him is, uh, you know, he, he's made the art of being a fullback again. I think we've gone through gone through many sort of cycles in rugby of you know having fullback having fly halves playing at fullback or having you know the fullback position being another winger. And it's great to see the proper art of being a fullback, being in fashion again. And you know, Freddie's got all of that. You know, he seems to absolutely really thrive on you know, just sort of knowing where the high point of the ball is, that he can come and get it under the high ball. Um, he thrives on that sort of kicking battle to and fro along the game. Um, and he's adding to his game all the time. I mean, he, I, I swear he's a good few yards quicker now than he was maybe six months ago. That seems to be something he's building on. And, uh, yeah, it, it just seems like he's absolutely loving life. I mean, he just seems like he's, he's a young lad who just out of nowhere has become absolutely superb at rugby. Um, and he, and he's, he's along for the ride and he's loving it. Now, he, he's a terrific player. Where, you know, not just in the um, in the conversation now for this position, but he's in the conversation at the moment in time as being one of the best fullbacks in the world right now. Um, he really is that good. And we're really lucky we've got him. No, I... I, I... I can't agree anymore. I think the reality with Freddie is he looks destined to go to the very, very top and deservedly so. He's got all the ability there and he just seems so hungry to want to get better. It's all that seems to be driving him forward. He looks like he loves being a Tiger. He loves playing rugby. And he just wants to keep getting better and he looks like he's having fun uh, whilst doing it. Whilst all his environment at England was falling around, around him, he shone out as being a bright light that consistently put his hand up and a real mature performance each week, which was which is great to see from from that extent. I think it's interesting that we have Stimpson um, in the same boat because I think he's almost like the heir to Tim Stimpson. I think it's very similar in terms of of that, like you say, the deceptive pace, um, the ability to sort of go from wing to fullback. But you know, it's predominantly a fullback, but just shines through. So no, I think Freddie very much is a a terrific player, and well deserves to be in. Um, this vote. So apologies, I'm going to have to put you under pressure a little bit. Uh, normally you probably have to think about these things, but we'll put you on the spot, Ian. Of those four, Tim Stimpson, Sam Vesti, Matthew Tate and Freddie Stewart, 
who is your vote leaning towards as as we sit here now? I would. I'd love to say Stewart. I think he's going to benefit from a bit of a recency bias, but I think he probably deserves to be up there. Um, but I'm going to go for Stimson because I think uh, you know, for the things that he achieved, he's a real legend in the position. Um, and I think he's just got to be him. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. I, what I would like to see happen, if possible, is I, my vote would also go to Tim for the reasons you've outlined and those kicks that we've spoken about. What I would like is for Stimo to win. And if we're going to have fancy uh, rugby here, Freddie to become a very honourable second, uh, having scored well um, alongside. But we'll put the vote up. We'll get those four up on Twitter for you to have a, have a run at. And then that will complete the team. And that we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Sunday, away at Ospreys. Ian, how do you see this game? Um, well, some clarity as to who's picking the team would be a, a nice start, <laughs> wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, um, it really is impossible to say. I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think we could ignore the context around the game as well. Um, um, no doubt that this week has been unsettling for the players. Um, it would take an absolutely Herculean effort to have got their focus 100% on the game and not on all the noise that's going on around it. Um, Osprey's perhaps not the team they were a few years back. Could be there for a win, but I, I think I, I think we might struggle in this one. I think just the context of everything going around it, um, going away to Wales is never an easy thing to do anyway. Um, I'd like to think we've got the personnel to be able to come away with the win, but I think it might end up being a challenge just because of what's been going on around the club this week. No, I, I can see that. I think in the normal circumstances. I'd be saying this is a a real good shot of getting five point win here. Ospreys are near the bottom of their league. They've only had one victory all season, and despite the issues that we have seen, we have still shown enough so far this season that we are still a very very good team. We can still turn it on, and we can put teams to the sword. And I'd have fancied our chances going into Sunday's game. This week, however, probably is the great leveller because there is so much uncertainty over who's picking the team, like you've said, and what the makeup of that team is. You know, under normal circumstances, Borthwick probably had a plan about rotating and maybe had an idea of what he wanted the team to be. That may have or may not have been ripped out now with what's going on. Like you said, there is going to be a knock-on impact by um, by that. That said, it is the first game of Europe. This is an opportunity to to get excited about a, a new competition. As much as um, we had some great ding-dong battles with Ospreys in the past, where we played them every year, we've now had a bit of a break from, from playing them. So it's nice to go back to a, almost a new ground in effect, a, you know, an old rivals, so, so to speak, which is good. I think that the overall message, if you can, what I'd like to see is from the senior boys to go, like, let's just put all of that to one side. Let's just get the win. You know, let's just show what we're about. Back to the wall, siege mentality, we're Leicester. Come on, let's just go and do it. And hopefully, my hope is that we can sort of drag ourselves over the line. It's as hard as that might be to do so. Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, I think on paper we are the stronger side, and I think we've got uh, you know a number of uh, number of winners out on the side. I think uh, you know someone like Jasper Visa made such a difference to us coming back in. I think he's the kind of player um, really well suited to playing in Europe. It should be the kind of game that we win, but 
No, so I, I just there's so much uncertainty at the moment. We don't know. Um, yeah, we don't know quite a number of things about the game ahead. So well, I don't know. Maybe um, this experience this week just instills a bit of resilience, a bit of pack mentality, and we sort of bring out that frustration, that energy on Osprey. So let's hope so. No, I I I, I agree. That that is my hope as well. Especially as uh, me and the other man are making a road trip down to Swansea, so it'd be nice to go all that way to uh, to come back with uh, some points, some victories in the bag as well. I think that'd be a nice one to come back to. So then, score prediction. Um, don't have to call it the exact score, but what do you see the score being on Sunday? Um, I see it as a tight game, which could go either way. And I just worry that Ospreys will nick it with a last-minute uh, last penalty. Yeah, just I... following that little trend <laughs> at the minute. Yeah, I, I, to me, Sunday's game, as much as there's a lot of noise about it, it'd be nice to see if we can actually put together a second half that we can be we can be proud of. You know, we can. It'd be nice to see an 80 minute performance again. It'd be nice to see um, us go do all the things that we are supposed to be doing and put a team to the sword and actually have a nice, comfortable um, last 20 minutes with, by being far ahead. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but it'd be nice to dream of having a comfortable uh, margin of victory. I agree with you. I think it will be tight. I think it's probably. I'm not sure what the weather forecast will be. If it rains, it's Wales. It's going to rain. Well, I think again that shows you. The it's going to be cold. And, it's going to be cold and rainy. It's Wales. Well, I mean, that is a very good point. So I think that probably tells you how this is going to go. Tight as well. I'm going to be an eternal optimist and say Tigers by four, and I'd like that to be uh, like that to be the case. But uh, to everyone that's travelling down, hope to see you there. And come on, Tigers, do the business. So that is um, almost it from us this week. Apologies for uh, a long one. As you can imagine, there's been a lot to uh, discuss and a lot to uh, to get through. Hopefully we've calmed everyone down. We've gone through a bit of therapy together and we're all feeling a little bit better about, uh, well, made a little bit more sense out of what has been a fairly chaotic 48 hours. Uh, before we go, there's a shout out to be done to our women's team who are on staggeringly good form. Uh, as their run continues, eight from eight so far. Last weekend's win uh, away at Harrogate, I believe, um, continues their marvellous run. As I say, eight from eight, 39-5 victory. Weirdly uh, for Tigers, they went behind. Uh, They're not used to doing that. So a good uh, resilience shown, I think, from a tough first half when they opened up the traps in the second and put them to the sword. Bacrazia, Lavaroni, I do apologise if I've pronounced your name wrong. However, got two tries, um, adding to her fantastic try at home to Welford Road against Loughborough, where she just absolutely tore it up and set the crowd alight. So great to see Lucrezia scoring another two. Bryony Chalk, Sam Williams and Georgia Westwood, friends of the show, scores again. You know, I think that's another week that's gone by since uh, Georgia joins us on the podcast with another try. Georgia, I'm Your influence, you. obviously. Well, I, I, George, I am telling you, it's it's down to me and Mike. Um, you will refuse, I'm sure, to credit us, and quite rightly so. However, I'm still clinging to that uh, influence as little as I can have. Um, but no, girls, fantastic. 39-5, 8 from 8. That is majestic. Well done. Um, attention's turns this weekend at home to Barnsley. Um, girls coming down from Yorkshire to, to play us. Interestingly, it's at Oval Park this Saturday and it is free of charge, I believe, to go along and watch. I'm not sure why it's not at um, 
Welford Road is clearly a good reason uh, there, but I believe it is at Oval Park. I believe it is free uh, to go along and watch. Um, apologies if I've got that wrong. But if you are able to get along um, on Saturday, if you want to get a bit of rugby fix, then I would highly recommend going down and cheering on our girls. They are on fantastic form, as I say, at the moment. They need all the support we can get to get keep the run going. So, yeah, uh, good luck, uh, girls. Make it nine from nine and uh, hope to see as many people there as we can. Um, Ian, thank you very much for, for joining us this, this evening. It's been much appreciated. Super sub uh, that you have been. Um, have you got anything to add to yourself? No, just uh, having been a fan of the podcast since it's uh, since since you since you launched it, um, it's been an absolute honour and a privilege to be asked on. So thank you very much for having me, and I think we've had a lot of fun in doing so. Ian, top man, I will, I will give you that twenty quid uh, for saying such nice things. <laughs> thank you very very much. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the rugby this weekend. Hopefully, Tigers do the business for both the men's and the Wiggers team, and enjoy your week. Goodbye. 